wanted to use something outside of Romans tonight. Uh, Vince were out there, spread my imaginary wings, but uh, uh, God gave me a baby girl over the week, so I'm back in Romans. <laughs> and I come back as way of a reminder, and a, a double reminder for those who heard this sermon last year. <laughs> but uh, by God's grace, hopefully uh, we'll take that reminder and uh, appropriate it to our lives and glorify God that way. So we'll be in Romans chapter 1 today, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. You know, I've been here uh, in this Tampa area almost uh, a year and a half now, and you meet some pretty interesting people. About a year ago, I was at the Winn-Dixie right beside Livingston Avenue, and I was walking up to the front, and a grown black man approached me and uh, wanted to get my attention. He was a bit rugged looking, wore very old, uh, really old, trendy clothes, and had a really old bike as well. It looked like something straight out of the Napoleon Dynamite film. And he asked me, could I get 40 cents for a hamburger? I haven't eaten since yesterday. I began to talk to him, and I could tell he was mentally handicapped by the way he talked, and he kept repeating himself. But I replied to him, of course, you know. So Sonic was right there. We walked over, and uh, we got him something to eat, and it was my full intention to share the gospel with him. But, however, imagine this. Imagine I just assumed or presupposed, you know what, he's mentally handicapped. He can't understand the gospel I'm going to share him, so why share it with him? Or I just didn't want to bother with him because he's some stranger, black homeless man. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? By God's grace, I didn't do that. This man brought me so much joy and encouragement that day. He was mentally handicapped, but understood the most important thing in the world, the gospel. How do I know he understood the gospel? Well, I told you it was my intention to share with him the gospel, but I didn't tell you that he shared the gospel with me beforehand. He was a Christian. He told me that if he were to die in his sins, he would go to hell. But Jesus Christ saved him. His name was Peter. And I saw his love for Christ, and he was a gracious, kind man. Praise God, right? There are many people who parade around their intelligence with great, mighty boasts and consider the cross to be foolishness. Yet here was a man many would deem as a fool, yet he paraded around the cross of Christ and made his boasts in Jesus. Everyone is valuable and in need of the gospel. We shouldn't put up qualifications that we make ourselves on other people to determine if they need to hear it or not. This is one of the truths that God is going to show us in this passage today that I want to share with you guys. So today we're going to be looking at verses 14 and 15 in the letter written by Paul to the Romans. And there are two truths I want to proclaim to you today so you can have an infinite appreciation for the gospel and in turn share it indiscriminately with others. So and our first truth I want to go over is in verse 14, and it is, Christians are debtors to all people by the gospel of God's grace. Christians are debtors to all people by the gospel of God's grace. Let's read verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now when you see this word obligation, more literally in the Greek it means debtor. I'm a debtor to barbarians and to Greeks, to the wise and to foolish but that leads us to ask, well, why, Paul, are you a debtor? Why are you obligated? And why are you in debt to them? But first, we should ask, well, what is the debt? You're a debtor, Paul. What's the debt? 
And the answer to that question is found in verse 15. And it's connected and focused in on the word so. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So key words, so and also. So he's letting us know that the debt is the gospel. He owes the gospel to Greeks and to barbarians, to wise and to foolish. But then that just makes us ask, well, why does he owe the gospel to these people he's never met? Many commentaries and sermons don't really touch on this at all. And if they do, they just point back to verse 1 and say, well, Paul is an apostle called of Christ Jesus, separated for the gospel. So it's an, he's an apostle. That's his job, right? Share the gospel. You're a debtor because that's your job, Paul. I mean, look at verse 5. It says, he received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So if it's your job, Paul, to share the gospel, do it. If Jesus tells you to, Paul, just do it. And, you know, we should not do what Jesus tells us, but I think there's something deeper going on here in Paul's mind. I think the key is in verse 5 that says, received grace. Paul received grace. Here he's putting more of an emphasis on what he freely received than what was ever being commanded of him. Paul received free grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith with the gospel. So Paul owes the gospel because of the grace he has been given through the gospel. So he is thoroughly motivated and is utterly consumed and amazed at this free gift of God given to him. And I also want you to notice that this uh, free gift right here, that Paul is in debt to people, not to God, for this free gift, this God-given grace in the gospel. And a lot of people explain this debt by saying, well, Paul owes God for this free grace given through the gospel. However, you can't be a debtor to God because of the grace he's given to you. If you tried to pay back God for the grace he gave to you, grace would no longer be grace. This gospel is a gift of God by his grace. You can't earn it. But if you talk to a lot of people, people try to earn it really hard. They try with all their might to make sure that they get the credit for the gospel. They get the credit for their own salvation. Just talk to anybody. People try and strive so hard to earn salvation by their good works. Why do they do that, though? Why do they want to earn it so bad? Well, the answer is simple. They want the glory God deserves. Humans are all about taking something that is meant to glorify God and turning it into a means to glorify themselves. And if you've been here uh, several weeks ago, a month ago probably, going through Romans 1, 18 to 32, that's all it talks about. Men trying to glorify themselves. Men want to look good. Men want to make much of themselves instead of Make much of themselves instead of God. Now, turn to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 real fast with me. I've asked this and pointed this point out several times before in the past. Why is it all about free grace? Why does God make salvation based on free grace? Well, the answer is here in 2, 8, and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that, so that no one may boast. So right here, we find our answer. Why is it all based on free grace? So men cannot boast. Only God can. The gospel of free grace is designed so that God gets all the glory, and we get many benefits, and we don't get any of the honor ourselves. We can't take credit for what God has done in the gospel. 
It's just like Walmart or Target where they put, put up uh, big advertisements in their store on TVs showing how many, uh, how much money they give in donations that year, right? They spend so much money on showing how much money they get for free. They want to look good to people. It's kind of a weird concept, but they want people to know that they're doing stuff. They're doing good things. And in the same way, men want to look good, right, and earn heaven by their works. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Hindus, every other religious system, they're all about work, 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 do, 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 look good, boast, have a high esteem before God and men, yet they shouldn't be surprised when God brings them down into the depths of hell because their self-righteous works billow up as smoke of sin before God's holy eyes. To the extent you try to earn grace from God, to that same extent you diminish that grace and steal from God's glory. Men rather glorify themselves instead of glorifying in God. So we see that this grace pays debts. It doesn't make debts. It's, you can't earn it. It's free. Verse 5 says Paul received grace and apostleship. And him receiving grace motivates him. And it's the reason why he's in debt. Paul here is not in debt to God because of this grace. Rather, he's in debt to everybody else. He is obligated because of the grace he received freely from Jesus Christ in the gospel to preach and bring about the obedience of faith from everyone. But why is he a debtor? Why is he obligated? We know the debt now, but that still leaves the question, why is he obligated to preach the gospel? And we have to think about this question. What about free saving grace makes you as a Christian indebted to others? Paul received free unqualified grace. Now Christians, every, all the Christians in the crowd, imagine this. Imagine all the sin that you committed before you were saved. Those heaps of ash, stinking ash, before God's holy eyes. And then God, suddenly, because of the great love he had for you, not because there's anything special or worthy or admirable in you, but the inherent love in him, he saves you by grace. He pours a fragrance over your life. He removes all your sins and gives you a treasury of grace to supply you for all your needs the rest of eternity. He adopts you into his family and gives you a vast inheritance. It's grace upon grace upon grace. Now keep on picturing this illustration for a moment. You are now in his mansion glorifying him for all that free grace you just received. You hear a knock on the door. And you go over and you open up the door, you know, just for illustration purposes. And you see a man you once knew. He's, you know, garbed in these goth clothes, something you might see up in Washington. He has tattoos all over his body, piercings. And he's here at the door inquiring about the hope that lies within you. He's wanting to know about this free grace you received. And in response, you shut the door in disgust. Hopefully all the memories of you getting uh, shamed and uncomfortable around him fade away as well. But Christ, your master, approaches you. And he asks who it was. Before you could stammer out a an answer to Christ, he says, Oh, was it just a man who doesn't deserve the free grace I gave you? You see, if you received grace upon grace, free, unmerited, undeserved, unqualified grace, then you withhold it from others. You're essentially saying you deserved it. They don't. That it is something you earned and merited while others don't quite hit the mark for needing the gospel yet or they're not ready for it yet. 
Grace is no longer grace. Grace is thus nullified. You essentially commit a crime against your fellow man who was in the same predicament you were before you were saved, right? It's like being trapped in a burning building. You know, wooden fiery beams are falling down all around you, and you see that little fire escape map on the wall. You run over there, you tear it off, and, oh, you embrace it, you love it, you thank whoever put it up there freely for anyone to see. You got it. You're walking around looking out. People are coming up to you, and they're saying, hey, tell me how to get out. Tell me how to get out of this, this fiery building. I'm going to die. You say, no, no, no. You hide it from them, hoard it to yourself, and then you pick a couple people. Up, you know, I like you. I like you. You got a nice haircut. You're always nice to me. Come here. I'll show you. But for the other people, no, no, they don't, they don't deserve it. They don't get it. You hoard it to yourself. And the once free map is now yours, and you don't want to share it. In the same way, by withholding the gospel of grace from barbarians or the foolish, or even being too afraid or ashamed to give the gospel to those you deem to be too intelligent, you are putting up qualifications on them God didn't, and you are condemning them by your own standards. You are hoarding grace that is meant to be spread. If you let other sin, sins or exterior looks divert you from sharing the gospel of grace to them, you are making grace no longer grace, and you're stealing glory from God, and you need to repent. Now, I really want you to understand why Paul, me, you are in debt to others because of this receiving of free grace in the gospel. Imagine Paul. Paul right here, he's received grace, he's saved. But much peop most people don't think about this, but Paul was one of the worst kind of persecutors of the church there's ever been on this earth. You heard about the, anyone remember Barnabas, that uh, missionary to Muslims that came by a while ago, Sunday night? He told us about how horrible the Islamic regime is, how they beat Christians, incarcerate them, and even kill them just because of their faith. Well, Paul did the same thing. He was as bad as a militant extreme Muslim. Acts 8.3 says that Paul was ravaging the church. He literally dragged men and women off from their homes and took them to prison. He scattered Christians in that area and tore families to pieces. And what did he do in response? He counted it all as good works, good merit, and religious zeal in front of his God. It was his job to persecute any belonging to the way, as early Christians were called. He... Uh, Passage 9-1 in Acts says that he was breathing out threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord. Walking around, I'm going to slit your throats. You're so disgusting. But God saved him by grace. Imagine now, Paul. Imagine now, Paul is saved by grace. He goes around and he refuses to enter any of the synagogues. He refuses to speak with any practicing Jews because they are against Jesus. He scratched them off the list of whom to preach the gospel to. What would your response be? Well, he would be an arrogant hypocrite, right? He was in the same predicament they are in right now before he received grace. Everybody needs what God can only give, which is salvation, grace, right? He would be one who presumptuously makes decisions for God on who deserves free grace that he received himself. And this is what Paul is getting at in verse 14. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. Him stating this is basically saying there is no qualifications for the gospel. You, Christian, are in debt to everyone who is in need of saving grace. The Greeks 
you know, talk about the Greeks a little bit. The Greeks thought themselves wise, what with all their uh, philosophy, years of philosophy, their education, their language, and their culture. And most of them viewed anyone who was not associated with their culture or language to be barbarians, you know, foolish. Get them out of here. I don't want to share grace with you. I don't want any part of you. Paul is saying it doesn't matter what their culture is. It doesn't matter what their race is, what their background is, what their worldview is, what their language is, or even what their mental ability is. Remember Peter I shared with you? Everyone is valuable and in need of the grace that is offered by the cross, whether Greek or barbarian, wise or foolish. So we have seen how Paul is a debtor towards others because he, like all people, desperately need the saving grace that is brought only by the gospel. He means to say that all of us who have been saved by the gospel of grace are now debtors to everyone who is still in need of it. So that's truth one. Next, I want to tell you about the next and final truth in this passage. It's in verse 15, and it is Christians are in all need of the gospel of God's grace. So first one, everyone basically, we're Christians are debtors to everyone by the gospel of God's grace. Second truth, Christians are debtors to all people by the gospel of God's grace. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the first one. Second one, Christians are all in need of the gospel of God's grace. So everyone who's a Christian here, we need the gospel just as much as unbelievers, right? Look at verse 6. I'm going to show you this in the passage. Romans 1, verse 6. Paul says, he just got done talking about bringing the gospel to uh, to all the nations for the sake of Jesus' name. Verse 6, he says, even including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, you Christian also. Now go to verse 15. He just said that he's under obligation and debtor to everybody. And then verse 15, he says why, uh, what his debt is. He needs to preach the gospel, but then he says he also wants to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So Christians need the gospel. Paul wants to preach the gospel to Christians. So we received grace, and now we are meant to give grace to others through the empowerment of the gospel. Paul says in Colossians 3.13, As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. In other words, take that grace and forgiveness you receive vertically from God and bend it out horizontally towards others. Let Christ's grace be a fuel to grow in grace and truth, or in another way to say that, to grow spiritual fruits, or in another way to say that, to the obedience of faith. Paul was not just about going around and making converts and letting them do whatever they want, not practicing or showing any outworking of their faith. Paul wanted a sanctified, holy bride lifted up to Christ as a sacrifice. He wanted to bring about the obedience of faith. Look at Romans 15, 15 for a second. Romans 15, 15 says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. He's reminding us. I'm reminding you guys. It's all about being reminded. But he says, because, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Why? So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. How do you bring about the obedience of faith? How do you remove sin from your lives and become more like Christ? The gospel. Preach to yourself the gospel. Remind yourself about the gospel. I love those songs that were up there. That was all gospel, those songs, right? It was wonderful. 
what is the gospel? To get more specifically, Jesus Christ, who is all perfect, laid down his life, his sinless life, for you on the cross. He bore your sins on his body on that tree and took the judgment you and I deserve for committing countless offenses against his majesty. He exhausted God's wrath for you. The Son of God suffered on your account. He extends this free grace to you now, and all you have to do is receive him as your Savior, your Master, your treasure, and you will be forgiven. What great love, right? Oh, divine love, right? That's what we were singing about. There is no greater love than that. The gospel is the center of everything. You are able to live right now because of the gospel. If there were no gospel, we'd all be dead. We'd be dead back in chapter 3 like Ryan taught this morning. If there were no sacrifice offered on the cross on behalf of sinners like you and me. Jesus' death on the cross is the climax of history. Is the climax in this universe. Everything points to the cross and everything backtracks and look backs on the cross. God is able to extend mercy and grace to believers right now and to heathen like you and me because of the gospel. And we're meant to look at all this grace. We're meant to look at passages in the book of John, John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory from the only son of the father, full in grace and truth. And it says in verse 16, and from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. Share this grace with everyone, believers, not just limiting it to unbelievers, everyone, Christians included. Keep the gospel in mind, lest you forget what God gave you freely, and you begin to charge others for what you received freely. You never stop needing the gospel. That's something I had to learn uh, when I came to this church, when I started growing. You never stop needing the gospel. You don't get saved and just stop needing it. I remember in my youth group, Years ago, I refused to go. I told my mom, and it, you know there was bad teaching there, but that wasn't the reason I gave it, the reason why I protested. I said, you know what, mom, they just teach basic stuff. They talk, yeah, they talk about the gospel, it's basic stuff, so I don't need to go. You know, at that time, I wish I had a holy man to slap me upside the face. You know, tell me, you know, you're an arrogant little boy, you know that? You need God's gospel to save you, and then... You don't need his help anymore. You're okay. You can get along yourself. That was a foolish thing for me to say and think. It's not, you know, at least the way I treated it. I treated the gospel like it was some kind of training wheels I need to grow out of or just something to pass along by. It's wrong to think of the gospel as just something you need to get saved by and then just forget it, like I thought. God's grace given through the gospel is a never-ending spring of grace that is meant to replenish your soul. It's the only hope you'll ever have to live a godly life for Christ, actually. You need to remind yourself of this grace. Understanding this gospel, letting it sink into your hearts and into your minds, means you won't walk out of here and sneer at some stranger you see, someone who's different than you. If you meditate on this gospel and preach it to yourself daily and think about it, you won't worry over your finances. Since he who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The gospel. If you meditate on the gospel, you won't be hurtful or rude to others in the congregation. 
You don't set expectations on others or have demandingness in marriage. I can't tell you how many times I treat my friends or you know, random strangers on the street better than I do my own wife. I have more patience with people that might literally steal my wallet and have and leave me for dead than my own wife, my own covenant partner, my flesh. I need the gospel. I need to remind myself of the gospel every day, lest I model uh, uh, a sinful pride to my daughter in the years to come instead of modeling uh, gospel-based humility to her. This gospel permeates all aspects of your life, all aspects of my life. It's just not a deal with you getting saved and that's it. Initial saving faith through the gospel is the outlet to empower everything else to help your Christian walk. My, how our relationships would change if we understood this, right? How our relationships with unbelievers, how our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, family members, co-workers, how our work ethics will change. You know, don't fit into your work atmosphere. Most of your day is spent at work. Don't act like everybody else at work. Most of your day should be showing off Christ and modeling the gospel through your actions and words. You know, I can't tell you how many times myself and others get agitated at work because people treat us like trash. And it's bound to happen being in the military, too. You think you just expect it. But, you know, we'd complain. You know, others would say, you know, that guy treats me like trash. You know, I'm human, you know. And, you know, now looking back on me saying that and other people saying I just feel like, yeah, you're human. You deserve to be treated like trash. You're a sinner just like me. You deserve nothing but being treated like trash. But as Christians, as Christians, we deserve nothing, but we've been given everything in Christ. You know, the Bible says, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. Come to the waters of free grace, it is saying. Free, unqualified grace. This gospel is meant to demonstrate Love and grace, clearly. It's designed by God to change us as believers. It is meant to bring about the obedience of faith and encourage us with our walk of Christ. It's meant to edify us. It's meant to build us up. It's meant to sanctify us as a holy, blameless bride before Christ. To make our words worthy and admirable on that day when we're singing them forth to our King and praises for all eternity. We need to be full of grace like Christ was in John, like Christ was on the cross, like we were singing about earlier, where he was nailed to the cross, and out of those nails he oozed compassion and grace, even still, mixed with innocent blood. And he still, like this song said, prayed on behalf of his murderers, like you and me, the murderers. This needs to be our practice, and the gospel will change us and help us in this way. This is why Paul preaches the gospel, to saved Christians. And this is why I stress this practice tonight. Now I want to conclude. You know, there's been two things going on here, these two truths, the gospel to unbelievers and the gospel to believers, point one and true. And the second truth will help you with the first truth. The second truth in preaching the gospel amongst ourselves, getting the gospel in our mind amongst ourselves will help us in getting the gospel to others. And I'll stress that by asking a simple question. How can you ever possibly hope that a sinner, upon hearing your testimony, the gospel that saved you, understand its everlasting importance when you think it's just simply a phase you stop meeting as you mature? I'll put it in a different way. 
if you don't see the gospel as a beautiful, ever-renewing source, a fountain of grace, empowerment, encouragement to live out the rest of eternity for Christ, if you don't see it that way, how can an unbeliever ever see the gospel in that way when you preach it to them? The answer is they won't. Unbelievers see how we act as Christians, especially how we act towards each other. So my two points from this passage are the two truths I want you guys to let sink in today was, one, Christians are debtors to all people groups, tongues, and mental classes. Why are Christians indebted to all people? Well, because Christians received free, unqualified grace from God. To pay back that debt to people, we need to preach the gospel to them. We need to share this gospel of grace that should consume us utterly right now. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Second truth, Christians also need the gospel of God's grace. Paul was eager to preach to the Christians at Rome, verse 15 says. Let's look at these Christians at Rome. Look at verse 8. These Christians at Rome... God, uh, Paul is praising God for why? Because their faith is proclaimed in all the world. Wow, Paul is eager to preach the gospel to these Christians whose faith is proclaimed in all the world. Is your faith proclaimed in all the world? How about all of Florida? Hillsborough County? Tampa? My faith is not proclaimed in my own home sometimes. How much more do we need to remind ourselves of this gospel free grace. We need to be reminded of this great love that song says that God displayed for us on the cross daily and we need to bend it outwards to others. We need to ooze love and grace when we're pricked by others so that people can see how we react and see its reflection of Christ's perfect nature in heaven and give glory to him. We Christians can't do anything apart from God. We are not a part of God without his gospel. I want to share a quote with you by Oswald Chambers as I close. He says, quote, Our calling is not primarily to be holy men and women, but to be proclaimers of the gospel of God. Paul was not conscious of himself. He was recklessly abandoned, totally surrendered, separated by God for one purpose, to proclaim the gospel of God, end quote. And I'd add with that quote, and I know Paul would be with me, that by primarily proclaiming the gospel, to everyone, even ourselves, the Christians, we will become and we will change into holier men and women. So I implore you, let this gospel of grace soak into your minds. Meditate on it. Let it go into your heart. What God has done in Christ for us is so rich and deep. We need to draw from it daily and think about it, meditate on it, and not just toss it to the wind like it was some training wheels we needed when we were a little baby Christians, right? It's our meat. It's what we thrive and depend on every day. And without it, we're doomed. All right, let's pray. I want to pray for Pastor Mike and uh, Mark over in Myanmar as well. God, you're so gracious to us. Sinners who, even though saved, we still struggle with idolatry, God. We will always struggle with that until the day we die. We're always out for our best interests over and above uh, your glory, God, when really your glory is our best interest. God, I pray that this gospel that you've given to us and uh, by grace helped us to understand um, that we will parade around it like Peter did, God, that we will make all of our boasts in you, 
knowing that we can't do anything apart from you, God. We need your help in this Christian walk. We need your help in removing sin, God, and uh, we need help in glorifying you. We need help in realizing we need your help, God. We're desperate. God, I also pray for Pastor Mike and Mark over in Myanmar. Um, It's been how many days, several days since they've left, and uh, we pray that they're glorifying you, God, and having uh, a great time over there, God. Uh, Bring to them joy. Uh, they're, They're doing your work, God, and they're doing it all because of you and for you. We pray that you would uh, bring fruit to their labor, God, and you would be pleased. Uh, bring the divine smile to your face, God. Uh, that's all we want to do. It's our ambition to please you, God. Uh, we pray this in your name, amen.